0: It's Kiki here. And Alex. As two children who've never grown up, we head to Neverland and back for today's musical.
1: Lauren Hendricks and Ryan Carey-Hills tell us about their new musical, Tinkerbell.
0: How they spent their first ever writing commission on a
1: trip to New York. And why crafting a rounded antagonist is so important. Welcome to Making Making a Musical, musical. the The future future of British British musical Musical Theatre.
2: theatre.
0: One of my favourite Disney films growing up was Peter Pan. I genuinely this this might show my age had it on v h s and I would always pop it in and I, it always irritated me that I had to rewind it at the end of every time, but it was always ready to go for the next time and i was I was an obsessive child. I would rewatch this over and over and over. We're not here to talk about that, but we are here to talk about a new adaptation of the same source material. And it's called Tinkerbell and we've got Lauren Hendricks, who's written book and lyrics and Ryan Carey Hills, who's written music and lyrics here today. Hello both. Hello. Hi.
3: Lovely to be here.
0: Oh, thank you. Tell us about you and this partnership to start. How have you decided to write <laughs> musicals? It was a bit of
3: a bit of a strange start. We both went to drama school together and. Um, I was a menial first year and Lauren was in her final year. So, you know, I wasn't brave enough to talk to a third year. Um, <laughs> I took pity on him. Yeah. Time. Um, mm. I was, I think I was playing the piano in the music room. And I, um, I
4: basically barged in and accosted him quite aggressively <laughs> and um, thought he was incredibly talented. And then okay. just, I don't know, it, he wasn't playing, using sheet music.
3: Yeah. So I don't read or write music um, entirely by ear. Oh, wow not physically by you you know what I mean <laughs> that I'm, not, would be I'm impressive. not that talented um so yeah I think I was just playing in a singing room and singing and part of our third year project when we were at drama school was to come up with our own concept for like a concert or a musical or just a piece of performance and Lauren obviously had some ideas and she was I basically
4: like, just barged and I went you're not using sheet music he said he didn't need it and I said if I started singing something <laughs> you'd never heard before could you follow it and he went I don't know let's try um it was terrible, but we really enjoyed doing it. So then we just carried on. <laughs> and the next thing we had a musical about two months later.
3: Yeah. Um, it
4: and, was, and then it just snowballed from
0: there, really. And
3: just been obsessed with me ever since.
0: I have. That's true love. Yes, yeah. is, it is it's true nice love. Self. That's true love. Okay. So that's the origin story. That's the origin <laughs> yes. story. How now do we get to Tinkerbell? Um, so
4: Matt Brinkler, who now runs Red Entertainment, he saw the show that we wrote, first of all, like back in 2009. And in fact, I forgot this, he did. A, he was in a performance. He understudied one of the, one parts. Of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no so way. So we, we, we've sort of known him for ages. He wanted to do a musical about Tinkerbell um, and yeah, approached us to write it, um, which is our first commission. So that was a really interesting thing in itself, just not writing... Whatever we wanted just sort of has to go through all these processes and, you know, get cleared and really collaborative. Whereas we're used to just cracking open a bottle of gin and seeing what comes out. Whereas (laughs) this time we actually had to make sure we were (laughs) ticking all the boxes that Matt had asked us
0: to tick. So break that down because we haven't yet unpicked what a commission structure looks like on the podcast so let's go to the nitty-gritty obviously share what you can you know legal reasons <laughs> and everything but what does that actually what does that relationship look like what what checks and balances do you come into play that perhaps wouldn't if you were writing independently we've uh, been quite lucky I think yeah we haven't be we've been Matt. very
3: lucky he you know he trusts us who's employed us as writers and who's let us do exactly that. Um, I think the biggest difference is obviously time constraints and deadlines. Whereas if you're working for yourself, you don't have those. Um, we got the commission, I think, maybe like a, six months or so before lockdown or maybe a year. It before, I think,
4: yeah, that? I think it was probably about was a year. We sort of struggled to get started.
3: Um, and then, so actually lockdown for us was a bit of a blessing. So we were like, oh, we actually have time. Very productive. To, to actually do this now. Um But yeah, trying to work to deadlines is quite tough because you can put aside days to be like, okay, I'm going to do this much today. And that's not how it works. You can sometimes sit there and have absolutely nothing. Um,
4: I think all all the stuff that you have to do before you even start writing. So um, I had to produce a three page synopsis with just bullet point. This is kind of what I think the storyline could be. And then once that had got the go ahead or mad, Given us feedback then that had to become a six page then that became a 10 page then it became
3: some demo songs so,
4: yeah then it became three demo songs and then we eventually good to you, go yeah you get the green light like okay yep this all looks good now you can get writing and again that was weird because you are sort of like really like wanting to get started and feeling really inspired but you don't even know if the song that you start writing is gonna be in it yeah like get through the synopsis stage
1: Wow so you're doing so you're doing a, a sort of a pitch document and then you're creating treatment after treatment and, and it's getting longer and longer mm-hmm. but you still haven't actually written a page of scene yet. No not, not, really. not that
4: but we did the demos and then we just had all the synopsis and then didn't properly start writing I mean, obviously I was scribbling down ideas and stuff as we were going and stuff was being written but not mm. necessarily for it. I guess it's, it's to weird.
3: ensure that your vision and the producer's vision is on the same page Mm -hmm. because if not we could get writing and then we find out months down the line that we have gone completely in separate directions um and I think it's to kind of try and alleviate some of that happening yeah um just to make sure that there is an open communication all the time because um also we found that sometimes we get some feedback where it's like don't like this song or this song that doesn't work or not sure on this character And if it's just us two writing for the sake of writing for us, we can keep as many of our darlings as we want. But when there's somebody else going, it's not necessary. You're like, okay. okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I think communication is important like within any part of the industry. I think as long as everyone's on the same page working for the same goal, then that's hopefully when things should work.
1: And how does it feel being paid up front for writing that you haven't, yet done <laughs> with possibly I suppose some kind of royalty then down the line as well that must be a really strange feeling. it
4: feels really fucking sexy when, <laughs> like, when that money first like we, we I got mean, this it, message it, it, it was, was brilliant we signed the contract and then 20 minutes later he emailed us saying it's in your accounts." So we were like oh, let's book New York and we actually did, and we did that, that evening book we booked a trip to, to New York Yeah. we hadn't written a, a word, word. <laughs> and we were like um well, we've very quite happily and quite easily and quite freely spent this advance and um, booked a fabulous trip to New York. <laughs> we should probably start writing. So then you really feel the pressure. And also, I, I don't know, you, you really do feel the pressure then, I think, to make sure it is exactly what that person wants, because he's already sort of paid for yeah. your services. And it's like oh, I
3: think for me, though, it was quite a moment where I went, I've always wanted to write musicals mm-hmm. and that be a job. To and make money it from felt very it. different from when we did our own show because we you know it was very much trying to fund it ourselves and put it on ourselves where it was if it you it made a
4: hundred sp- pound profit <laughs>
3: which <like> was good <laughs> like a, was a, like like we made were a thrilled.
4: profit yeah we were, exactly we were over the moon that we'd made anything um,
3: <laughs> but to have somebody go okay i'm paying you to do this this is now your job like that was quite a defining moment i think mm. for me to go oh i'm actually doing what i thought i wanted to do and someone's paying me because they think i'm good enough to do it which is a really nice moment. Do
4: you really get imposter syndrome, though, which I think oh, all writers do? But then suddenly it's like this crippling thing of this producer really believes in what we do. Do I?
3: Yeah, there are, there are times <laughs> where you're like, I just want to give all the money back and go, I, just can't, I can't, I'm do sorry. It. Get
4: someone else, get yeah. someone else.
3: But no, it's, it, is in, it is interesting because it becomes a job, mm. not just a passion project.
0: And let's demystify the actual logistics around the finances of commission. I'm not mm-hmm. asking you to divulge money or, <laughs> or numbers, but most commission structures,
2: mm-hmm.
0: to my knowledge, uh, you have you agree with the writer, the brief, mm-hmm. right? And you will get an advance of a certain amount of money. Let's say hypothetically mm-hmm. in this example, 3,000 pounds shared between the two of you. Mm-hmm. And that is an advance against the box office takings of which you will get a percentage say six percent so yeah it's just i think when people are thinking about oh can i approach a you know producer and get a commission it's just thinking it's i think helping to unpick mm. that and understand what that money actually may look like so yes there's an advance up front which is amazing because yes let's pay people for their services Mm -hmm. but there's also potentially more coming at the end based on when the show actually goes up yes and uh ticket sales from that
4: yeah he hasn't bought the show from us, then the collaboration will then still exist um, once Tink hopefully takes flight. Um, so yeah, you, you, we, got we, an, we got an amount to start writing it. And then once we had the draft that we were all happy with, yeah. we got the next bit when it went into workshop. Yes. I think so he broke it up, nice. which was actually it was really nice and
3: so, so yeah, it was basically a payment for the first draft, a payment for the first workshop. Um and then
4: and then it would be royalties. Our next payment to...
3: would be royalties once the show opens, Perfect. which is lovely to obviously be paid to write. But what I think I was very unaware of is that has been it so far. And it's been like a five year mm. almost process. So there is a lot riding on. That show opening to the public and making some money. I wouldn't say there's a huge amount of money in actually writing the material. It's what could happen once the material's on sale, if that makes sense. But
4: it helps. Oh, no, every little (laughs)
3: helps. Of course, of course. The whole Um, starving
4: writer thing is all very glamorous in Moulin Rouge, you know, (laughs) sort of this poor guy in a scruffy hat beavering away at a typewriter can't afford to eat I write better on a full tummy so just having that advance was really yeah, yeah of it's course. like oh okay and it just gives you that faith that something is good we're all working towards getting it because the producer wants to get that back as well so it does feel like I don't know writing a musical when it's just your project can sometimes just feel like you're pissing into the wind and just like yeah what's the, let's where, where's let's see go? and it, you yeah. have no idea what the direction's going to be whereas Having a producer there who's already invested money into it, you know that it's being directed.
3: There's somebody else apart from the writers that has a vision for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for that. (laughs) I think it's just really good to be honest and upfront about different structures. And (laughs) for sure, you know the, the commission structure is is amazing and brilliant. And hopefully, more producers will be doing it. But yeah, I think it's always good not to encourage people down a, a garden path that may not lead anywhere yeah and yeah. um, so yeah being really clear you know what writers always looking for you know money we're all yeah. looking for yeah. money to make make our shows happen so um yeah it is absolutely a path um but it's always good to be up front so i appreciate the honesty yeah, yeah we, we've done both ways now yeah so it, it is quite interesting
3: and i think it's quite important also to say that you know you do have to have those muggle jobs in between like I'd love well we both love to get to the point where writing is our number one source of income but it's trying to get that balance of working your muggle jobs to pay your rent and your bills but then finding time to write yep. like it is it is hard and it is a it is a slog um but keep going kids because things happen
4: <laughs> from yeah. Uncle Ryan yes, yeah,
1: all your <laughs> dreams and all that so you're living your Tom and Julia from Smash Fantasy yes, in New York
4: are. I wear a lot of long scarves <laughs> <laughs>
1: And you are having to actually write the show. So tell us about your adaptation of Tinkerbell, because there's lots of adaptations of Peter Pan, isn't there? Mm-hmm. What, what is it about yours which is different and unique?
4: So um, this is kind of Tink's origin story. Um, this is before Peter, Wendy, Hook, um, before all of that. Um, the uh, I'm trying to like speed through it without completely butchering the storyline. But there's... um. <laughs> Uh, The pirates have waged a war on the fairies over in Neverland, and so all the fairies are forced to flee. Alliteration. Lovely. Lovely. (laughs) Um, And Tink and her two best friends uh, are sent to London, to Kensington Gardens, to join that fairy realm. And the Kensington Garden fairies are very different. It's all very much flowers and nature and, I don't know, all very, like, spiritual And Tink works with metal and it just doesn't really fit. Um, Tink's personality is quite brash, she's loud, she's um, disorganized and clumsy and scattered and she's got to try and find her way of making this new life work. and while there was a threat of the pirates in Neverland over here, there's still the threat of humans, particularly the Royal Society. So it's set in Victorian London, um, where the Royal Society were really making huge waves in science and advancement. And um, what was it? The classification of, of species, species.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, is what they were doing. So when they find out that there are fairies that are in Kensington Gardens, they obviously try and hunt the fairies and Tink has to use her skills To help save the day and rally the fairies.
3: A lot of our original source material comes from the books. Mm -hmm. um, Because, you know, this isn't a Disney musical. um, So, you know, lots of red tape. um, But it's very much based on the original source material um, by Jane Barry. So
4: that's Peter Pan but also Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens which is another book that I'd never heard of yeah. until we started researching and it was like ooh yeah there's more and that's why there's the little statue of Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens ah. so I always sort of wondered why, why there yeah necessarily but it's because there was a whole book um, about that so we used that and the description of the fairies and stuff from yeah from the books it's
1: so fun it feels like a really strong part of this story is um obviously the fairies that it, which is sort of familiar to us and we know and love but also the royal society um tell us a bit more about them are they the sort of they're the villain of the piece are they
4: yes yes they are the they're probably the main antagonist um but i think as with any good villain um they genuinely believe that what they're doing is right and some of what they did was a lot of the stuff that we now know and have and understand is thanks to them but it's just about that balance of sacrifice and compassion um so they are the antagonists of the piece but they're not just like oh let's just go out and kill a load of fairies they genuinely believe in what they're yeah they do they
3: they just want knowledge they want answers Mm. um i guess you know there's lots of similarities to what's kind of happening now with conservation in zoos and things like that it's like people generally are trying to do the right thing but then other people have the um opinion that there shouldn't be any animals in zoos so it's that kind of approach with the royal society really mm-hmm. but they are i guess they are the main threat they're the main yes. source of the peril peril mm. it made it made my job really like exciting with music as well because Victorian London and the Fairy Realm have two very different sounds, so it kind of gave me another world to explore musically as well. So that was good fun. Well
1: Should we have a listen to the first song, which is which is Tink's warning song? Um, Things I've done wrong.
4: Yeah, where she's she's just overheard that the humans are, are have discovered that there are fairies in Kensington Gardens, and um, that they're kind of they're, they're on the way, they're coming to find them. So she's got to rally them. To fly off without
5: care How could I have been so naive
0: me if i'm wrong that was one of the first demos you ever sent to the producers yes correct sung by the incredible amy good uh who was
4: a student of ours she's amazing and that demo even now years on still really gets me going like you can probably hear i'm literally like, <laughs> like it it's, just, it's really just nice just to listen to that
3: back actually because like there has obviously been lyric changes and things like that for this workshop that's coming up but um a lot of those demos were done lockdown styley Oh yeah, most of of the demos
4: were just us. Yeah, you had COVID in one of them, it was
3: glorious. Yeah, it was Um, husky. I'm about
4: to say, it gives a certain tonal quality. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's not really what you need for like a pingy Tinkerbell sort of sound, (laughs) you know, just like (sighs) like Marge Simpson. Uh, It's not really the sound that we were going for, but Amy, she
3: smashed it. Yeah, Amy, well done.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you briefly alluded to this. Workshopping. Mm. So there is an upcoming workshop. There is. But there's been a workshop already. Yes. <laughs> so let's start from the first one and move forward. So
4: the first workshop was probably the best week of our lives. And it just felt insane. That then we really did for like Tom and Julia. Just skipping in with our coffees, you know, just rehearsing at the union. And um we had some amazing people involved in it. We had Alice Fern, Courtney Bowman, Oliver Saville. We had all these incredible people all wow. in the room singing our material. Um, and that week was very much an R&D week. It was a lot of conversations about the character developments and the arcs and... Um,
3: song structure. Song structure. You know, what was said in song that hasn't been said in script or are we repeating ourselves in two different forms? Um, what can go, what can stay? That it, kind was, of it was
4: all very... Collaborative, it was all very beautiful, and everyone just had a really great week. Um, and then, yeah, we're shortly going to go into our next workshop, which is more of a
3: slick presentation presentation. of material
0: to industry, to
3: industry, yes.
0: Okay. All right, going back to the first one, Mm -hmm. talk us through that R&D process for you. Because again, we've been unpicking workshop processes quite a bit, and we're giving a lot of different thoughts and and ways of approaching workshops. But I think the main through line that we're seeing is, being really clear about what you want to achieve within each workshop period and how you're going to achieve that. And it's not necessarily very productive to try to do the R&D and all the work you were saying there and potentially the industry presentation in one Mm -hmm. go. So what, I guess, lessons did you learn from that first process, that R&D with those amazing actors? We we did try to do a bit of both in that week. We, um I think it, we realized we, with the thing it's not
3: ideal to do that. Um because you then feel rushed. Yeah, and your focus needs to be on one or the other, I think. Um for me that first workshop was very much like tidying your house. It's kind of like what can go, what can stay, what am I holding on to that I really don't need to hold on to anymore. And there was lots of lyric changes, lots of song kind of manipulation like moving verses and moving choruses because I think having a really streamlined arc is really important and we found that although we work so well together and we're normally on the same page there are points where we're both trying to do the same thing in Mm -hmm. book and song form and it's like oh we've said that yeah we've we've said said that already and um and also to ensure that like the characters are sounding, not just like singing sounding, but in word in how they're coming across, the characters are how we want them to come across. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you have, you know, people like Alice Fern and Courtney singing your songs, you're like, well, that works. Whereas when you just hear each other, although she has a wonderful voice,
4: (laughs) uh, when we just
3: hear each other sing out all of these songs, we're like, I don't know if it's any good or not. Yeah,
4: you kind of like, that was was nice, babe. That was Well done. (laughs) Yeah, it's like
3: sometimes you need to hear somebody absolutely go for gold and you're like, oh, it does work.
4: Or a bit of script that I'm like, oh, I think that scene really flows, really nice, it ticks along really well. And then you hear it out loud and you're like, oh, oh, God, this is awful. I'm going to quit and become a sea captain. I don't deserve to be a writer at all. Um, It was really interesting. We had a printer set up and it was just constantly... Like, I was, you were just like chained to the piano, and yeah. I was just chained to the laptop with the director, Anna Fox, who was just incredible, just constantly go, going, Can we actually lose that bit? Or I think that that bit needs to be explained a bit better. That's not really coming across. It's like <laughs> like frantically typing away, printing off new pages and, and all of that. But it was really exciting and it's really fun. Whereas this one is going to be, we get into rehearsal, it's all structured, we know exactly what we're going into and what we're doing. But yeah, we yeah. we learnt a lot doing that one. We just tried to do too much because then the actual presentation bit came along at the end of the week and it was fantastic and it was really well received but it wasn't the real demonstration Be- yeah, of it. Yeah, because a lot of the changes of had happened
3: throughout that week, the actors couldn't sit with it for a week mm. which is mm-hmm. what we want to do this time. We want to make sure the material's there, we're sure on everything that we're giving them and... It just feels a bit more secure,
1: I think. So you're moving towards this new workshop, Mm -hmm. making progress. (laughs) And we have a second song to listen to. We do. Do you want to tell us a bit about that?
3: What?
0: It's called called It's called
3: progress. (laughs) It's called progress. Um, So this is... I had the most fun writing <laughs> this song. This is um, a bit of Ryan all yeah, over, actually. This is kind of, you know, the fairy realm have very much a pop rock sound. The Victorian London Royal Society are very much the old school chitty-chitty bang-bang traditional musical theatre. So this is kind of a an explanation as to what science and invention and evolution has done during the Victorian times. So I went on a big old research trip. There are some um, incredible rhymes. And I was like, how do I rhyme... <laughs> you know, all of these different inventions together. This is my attempt, everybody.
4: Uh, a highlight is when concrete is split into three syllables. You're That's welcome. That's my favourite, yeah. You're
3: welcome. Enjoy Listen. that.
2: <laughs> We're in our prime. This is a time of human ingenuity. Amazing things are thought of every day. Wonders are not here by some miraculous fortuity They're here because we study hard and print leads the way We travel now to distant towns on trains that fill no steam Whilst chopping on a chocolate bar we made from coca bean Or hop and drop a bicycle and pedal round all day Then jump aboard a steamship to the USA Lion is much stronger now, we've turned it into steel from the tyres that can fit around the wheel, your carriage ride is certainly less funky than before. So we can sit and think about inventing
5: more and more. Invention is the product of a man's creative brain.
2: So many things that once were thought impossible, insane. The progress of the
1: Victoria Day. So we've heard two very different styles of song and, and you sort of described a bit about that in the show. But tell us about how you go about writing on a practical basis. Do you lock each other in a room together until you've written a scene or how does that work? A bit of
4: both. For this in particular, because of lockdown, we were locked in a room together anyway. <laughs> um,
3: Against our will. And it was
4: it was all very cute. I had my little desk set up and it was pretty much opposite Ryan. So every now and then we could sort of like give each other a little supportive eyebrow raise while we were working. Um, and it was actually quite nice because then we'd take these little breaks and then Discuss. do a little show and tell.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think what we do before, especially in writing songs, we write down... Okay, what's the purpose? Do we need it? Why is that a song and not a scene or why is it not mm-hmm. a piece of action? Who's singing it? What do we want to get across? What kind of vibe we like to have like a playlist of like not to like copy but to like have a reference song of like say so, so this is our hellfire or this is our I don't know End of Act 1 Children of Eden, you know what I mean? So it's trying to have that vibe of this is kind of what we're going for and we just write down what do we want to get across? what kind of things do we want this song to say Mm. and then we kind of i kind of go away come up with a song with some lyrics lauren looks at the lyrics and goes and makes the lyrics even better and then that's a lie that's kind of how that happens um so yeah we kind of start writing songs both putting our ideas into a pot and making sure that pot Mm -hmm. is all the same flavor and then hopefully what comes out afterwards isn't too dissimilar to what we were both thinking if that makes sense. So it's not really like music first or lyrics. It's kind of like a purpose. Of yeah, like purpose first. What's the point? Yeah.
0: And how do you navigate if you aren't on the same page?
3: I think we've never, we were saying this in the little break, we've never actually had a falling out. Ever. No. <laughs> I mean, we can disagree on a lyric or um whether we want a midday or a pre chorus and that kind of thing. But we normally hear each other out and say, okay, why? And then Either you'll go fair, I get it. Yeah, or I'll go completely understand where you're coming from, or we try and compromise. Co-
4: or, or we try and compromise. Yeah, um, find a so yeah, find a bit of a balance. It's it is rare though. Yeah, I think because we, we go into it. So I mean, I'm the queen of research. I'm the epitome of a neurodiverse Virgo. So everything is like planned out, planned out. She's planned a joy out. to live with. <laughs> How dare you <laughs> organized fun? Um, organized fun? Anyone? Um, but I think because we're so clear on what the song needs to do that, that it, that tends to happen. But I think, um, yeah, once I've done my synopsis and we've put in the song points, once you've worked out song placement, then it all starts to fall into place a little bit because yeah. you're going, okay, so that is what the purpose of that needs to be. That is why that song has been put there. Um, and then, yeah, throw everything into a pot and just, just yeah. It's it's hard to describe a writing process because then it it's can so be different for other things. And when it's come to these rewrites, it's been really hard for us to have time together.
3: Yeah. So it's back I'll to go like off. normal world.
4: Yeah. So I'll go off and just do a load of script edits and then basically give Ryan a bit of a to-do list, like the song the scene before the song has had to change a little bit because this storyline wasn't particularly clear or whatever. And then Ryan has to go away and do his thing and then we all have to come back together again. But to get started, it's very collaborative.
3: Yeah. I think it's also important to kind of put out as well, you can have arguments with yourself massively. Mm-hmm. Like there are times when I've rewritten, there was one song in particular that oh, I rewrote God. about eight times um, and I was on the edge of having a breakdown. Um, I've never seen you so angry. I was trying to <laughs> stick to this one idea that I had mm-hmm. and I didn't realise at the time, but it was evidently that idea that wasn't working. So it was kind of like just trying to roll shit in glitter. Um, and... I just scrapped it, didn't I? And I was like, I'm starting just, again. I'm starting
4: again. And then um, and then it was all so easy for you. Yeah. From then, and then after battling with it for the three The song months. is now
3: in the show. So I just kind of wish I'd not wasted three weeks of trying to rewrite the same <laughs> song. Um, and sometimes you just need to let it go, start again
1: and be okay with that. So um, how do you know when something's wrong? Um,
4: I think it, it will just always jar. I think it, you always know.
3: It will be like the Skippy song really. on an album. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's always one on a cast recording where you're like, "Nah, I'm not bothered." Yeah, and when we're doing read throughs or little table reads, it's always the one where am um, you know, your bum gets a bit clenchy before it comes up because you know it's not quite the one that you go and choose to, to
4: top up your wine during that one. It's like, oh, okay, that's that's the tea break one. Yeah, um, and in terms of script, you just you Get can bored. feel that it's yeah, you can you can feel that the energy of the whole piece is then dropped, and there have been some bits that it would have taken such a massive change that I was really putting it off. So I was really hoping, please tell me that this one's going to work because if it doesn't, I've got to go back. And the changes were massive, huge structural things that would have a knock-on effect on the rest of the thing, would have a knock-on effect on um, the songs and the music. Um, But once I bit the bullet, it helps that my girlfriend's a dramaturg and has been working on this. So that has been... But I highly recommend getting a girlfriend who's an amazing drama and <laughs> director. Um, you hear it here. Yeah, her. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend to a friend. Um, so that has been really helpful. To have like a
3: third eye on it. To have,
4: yeah, and for her to be able to go, okay, if you're going to make that change, let's break it down and start like here so it's not too overwhelming. Um, but there have been some changes that I was really putting off because it was going to be so much work. <laughs> but you've just got to. And then...
3: Everything is Just, that else is easier.
4: Oh, it, yeah. 100%. It flies then. You can feel it. You can, you can feel when a scene is is there. And then it's still open to change. We're, neither of us are particularly precious, precious about no. making changes, which really helps.
0: Yeah. So we've talked a lot about processes and the fact this is an adaptation and the original source material was intended for children. Is the piece that you're writing also child-specific? Who is it for? Um, I would definitely say it's a it's a show you can bring kids to,
4: but um it's also one that a group of adults can also go and see on their own. Um I'd say it's probably a similar audience to Wicked.
3: Yeah. Th- uh, in
4: terms of age ranges and and what we're wanting, because while it is Tinkerbell and it's fairies, it's all rooted very much in adult human experiences and it's quite yeah.
3: Yeah. And I think also our generation uh can go and see it and there's little easter eggs kind of pointing at kind of future stories of Tinkerbell and hopefully mm-hmm. they'll be picked up on but also I think the world has a very one-sided view of Tinkerbell because of what we've seen on our screen so to bring a different version of her to life is is really exciting
4: yeah we've we said from the beginning of the process that we want every kid that does come to see it to see themselves up on stage and that's been our sort of motto running alongside this so making sure that there's loads of representation within the cast and in the, the creative team and in the storyline yep. itself um as well is massively important um we say every kid but obviously i think it's going to be really lovely for an adult to sit in there and go i recognize that or that is relatable or now i see tink is actually far more relatable than i ever thought um by adding in loads of these different layers um and just to have that representation on stage, which is something that we really are so passionate about anyway. Um, so yeah, really important for us.
3: I think it's a show for everybody, and hopefully, like that will be reflected in the storyline and the songs and the mm-hmm. messages. um you know, and also it's a it's a musical about a group of people that have had to leave one place and try and find a new home in another. And I think that's something that you know is happening constantly um and it's something that i don't think uh you've spoken about enough and about how they have to navigate those experiences so hopefully kind of having a bit of that message in there as well to be like you know it's not as easy as people may think it is
1: well we can't wait to see a full production of tinkerbell thank when you it hits neither can we <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> near you here is hoping <laughs> Making a Musical is produced and hosted by Alex Jackson and Kiki Stevenson for The Other Palace.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you're listening to help us share new British musical theatre with audiences all around the world.
1: You can submit your new musical to be featured on the podcast at theotherpalace.co.uk.
0: That's it from us. Join us next time for more Making Making a Musical, musical, the the Future future of of British British Musical Musical Theatre.